Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for your goodness to us, that you are a God who provides and cares for us, that you call us to consider the lilies of the field and how they neither toil nor spin and how we are worth far more than that. Lord, may we be mindful as we look to your hand for provision, not only to uh, thank you for how you have provided, but to trust you to continue to provide and meet our needs. And may we continue to grow in that gratefulness and continue to give from generous hearts, knowing that you will uh, take and use these, our gifts, to be um, effective for your means and for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing, if you will, and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1. I'll take another moment of personal privilege this Sunday and say that I'm glad to have my parents here this week. Uh, My sister last week, and now my parents here this week, and yesterday we celebrated my mom's 75th birthday, so the party continues, as you might imagine, uh, as we celebrate her while they're here with us. So we're coming to the end of Genesis 1. We're going to finish up Genesis 1 today, and then we're going to take a little break for Easter, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and then we'll come back uh, at the end of April to pick up our study in Genesis. So, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Father, speak to us through your word today. Cause us to see wonderful things from it. Lord, work by your Spirit to illumine our hearts that we might hear what you have to say. Instruct us and teach us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So as we have worked our our way through Genesis, we have spoken of the idea of building a house. And we saw... Uh, through the first few days of creation, the framing, as it were, of a house. And you build a house or build any building, not to leave it empty, but to fill it. And that's what we see on the third, fourth, uh, or sorry, fourth, fifth, and sixth days. And we saw also there's a correlation between the days. On the first day, God created light. And even though there were no bodies of light at this point, there was light. And it gives us a glimpse toward the end in Revelation, where again we will see a time when there are no bodies of light, but there's light because God is light himself. And on day four, the correlating day, he brings the bodies of light to rule over the day and rule over the night. 
On day two, God separated the waters above from the waters below. He made the sky, separated it from the sea. And on day five, he filled the sky with the birds and the sea with the fish. And then on day three, he separates land from water. Uh, And on the correlating day, he fills the land with the beasts of the field, with the creeping things, with all of the land animals. But as we saw as we came to the end of our text last week, day six isn't over. There's one more thing that God has to do. And if you remember, I explained this is the climactic event of creation. This was the crowning moment of God's creative work, that he would create man. This is the highlight. Male and female, he created them. He created all other living things after their own kind, according to their own kind, the text says. But man is created after the image of God. He would not only be made in the image of God after his likeness, but he would be set to rule. He would be given dominion over creation. Keep this in mind. God is not only setting the stage to show the power of his might and creativity. He's not only setting the stage to show his creativity and power. He is setting the stage to show the glory of his saving grace. The glory of redemption. Scripture, from the opening words to the closing words, is a story of redemption. And that is what God is doing on the days of creation, but uniquely on this sixth day when he creates man in his image. It was in and through man that the story of redemption would come to light. A redemption that will be realized in the new heavens and the new earth. The redemption that we all long for. In other words, the story would be told in and through the human race, but the story would affect far beyond the human race. We long for a new heavens and a new earth when all is made right. No one has to tell us that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. The world is broken. Ever since the fall, the world is not as it should be. And Paul even says in in Romans 8 that creation groans. It longs for redemption. But the story is being told through us. The story is being uniquely told through humans. God is saving humans in a unique way. That God has made everything. Think of it, light, sky, sea, water, fish, birds, stars. Everything that he made is going to be made right again. Everything starts today on the sixth day of creation though because it is in through in and through the the one made in his image, that he would not only tell his story, but it was through man that he himself would come and become part of the story, enter the story, to accomplish his plan of redemption. Jesus came as a baby born in the likeness of man to save us from our sins. This was to the glory of his grace and his love. His power and his might are awesome. But His glory and His grace and love, the story of the gospel, something even angels long to look into is something grand and glorious. It's what I want us to see today. So even as we've been building up this climax, this event, this creating of man in His image is the the beginning of the greatest story ever told. But this is not a story like we think of with children's stories, a fable or an imaginary story that we dream up to hope for something better. This story is one that has unfolded in the pages of history, something that is verifiable 
that we can go back and look through historical writings, through archaeology, and see that this story is no fable. This is a story that began unfolding then and continues to unfold in our time. And the story is the hope of all who trust in Christ. This is our destiny. This is the beginning when God said, let us create man. And so let's begin there in verse 26. We read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This account of creation is different from all the other mandates that God made in creation. If you notice, the narrative changes from the third person to the first person plural. This is the only time that we see God say, Let us make. Every other time, He simply said, Let there be. And it was. Now, there are those who have different views on what is happening here, and these are all acceptable views. I'll argue for my view, but one is uh, one held by many wise and godly people that God is simply having a conversation between him and the angels uh, in this statement, let us make. I think this seems unlikely. Uh, Nowhere in Scripture do we see that angels are made in the image of God. Further, and I think the strongest part of this argument is, God is in no need of input from created beings like angels. God is infinite and all-knowing and needs no help from us or anyone, including angels. Others have suggested that this was simply a plural of majesty. You know, we talk about the royal we. When a person of nobility speaks in the third person plural, when they only mean themselves. Uh, I think this is also a bit stretching because there's no other first-person plural in the other created mandates. And God's glory was no less on display in those acts as well. There's no first-person plural when He created light or when He created the skies. I think that the change in the grammatical person happens here for two reasons. One is that it gives importance and attention to what God is doing here. And secondly, it gives us hints and insight to who God is, that He is Trinitarian in nature. God takes counsel from no one. Isaiah 40, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did He consult and who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? These rhetorical questions from God Himself saying, I don't need the help from anyone. It's who God is, all-knowing, all-wise. He is omniscient and His wisdom and creativity know no bounds. And the triune Creator demonstrates His three-in-oneness, if you will, in counseling together here and saying, let us make man in our image. In the seven other creation mandates we have seen each day of creation, God simply says, let there be which is an impersonal command, here God says, let us make a personal consultation. At the creation of man, he states, let us make. This this intention is announced before he actually does it. Again, this is unique. We don't see this on any uh, any other steps of creation. He says what he's going to do before he actually does it. And instead of the, and it was so, which is stamped on the end of all the other creation mandates, this blessing is inserted, and this command to have dominion over is added. The point is, is man is being set apart from all other creation. 
God's plan, as He states it before He does it, to make man in His image after His likeness, it is repeated four times in the two verses, beginning in verse 26, in His image or after His likeness. It is clearly and there for its emphasis that this is really a big deal. And so for that reason, I want us to consider the image of God for just a moment. All of the creatures are created according to their kinds, and yet humans are made in the image of God. They're unique. Humans are not descendants of any other animal. Humans, male and female, were created as God's rulers over the created world. Instead of just royalty, every human is given the command to have rule or dominion. We're all royalty in that sense. We've all been given the dominion over the created things. But in the same way, we're also accountable to the Creator who made it all. In verse 26, the created animals are listed from days 5 and 6, and then they're repeated, demonstrating their subordination to man. God is placing man as his rule, as, as his ruler or vice regent. And then he repeats the command again in verse 28, clearly showing that man is play, being placed here uniquely. Not only is dominion given, but the blessing is also given, the blessing to be fruitful and multiply. This is not unique to humans. The command was also given to the animals to be fruit, fruitful and multiply. But what is unique here is that they, he's been given dominion over the animals. And the blessing then includes some things in, the, in this dominion that the text doesn't specifically say, but is inferred here, and I want to point two of these out. One is the moral aspect. God has created us as moral beings. Animals follow instincts. Humans don't. Humans are spiritual. Humans are eternal. We may observe at times in the animal world things that seem noble. They make for great little clips to view through your Facebook feed as you scroll up and you see cute things that animals do. But we don't find any morality in the animal kingdom. Humans, on the other hand, show courage, care. They sacrifice at times. They lead at times. They follow at times. They experience mercy. They have a sense of justice. And at times, they judge. And humans do all of these things for what they believe in or love. In other words, humans do all these things for what they worship. Even those who say they don't worship anything. We all worship something. And you can observe throughout time and history how as the times and the values have changed, human behavior has changed to adapt. We could say for better or worse, and likely in many cases it has been for the worse, but human behavior changes. Animals still do the same things they did a thousand years ago. The other aspect, there's the moral aspect, there's also the creative aspect. We've been made creative. Animals aren't really creative. Certainly animals can adapt, and we see adaptation in the animal world where they do things maybe differently in one case or another, but for the most part, the adaptation is very minuscule. Ants still dig holes in the ground. Beavers still build dams the same way they always have. You don't, you don't go into the forest and discover this really creative beaver who has built this, you know, five-and-a-half-story dam with multiple entrances, and it, it, we don't see that. On the other hand, humans have developed housing, transportation, weaponry, healthcare, art, space travel, and in many ways, we've only just begun. There is a creativity that man possesses that the animal world doesn't. 
And the moral and the creative aspects come together in a unique way. They come together in a number of ways, something that isn't observable in the animal world. We not only make airplanes, but we know how to make airplanes or we strive to make airplanes better, more efficient, less pollution, because what? We value economy or the environment. So what we value shapes what we do. Beavers build dams the same way they always have. We not only build airplanes in which we can fly, we make them better, and so forth. Animals are not thinking about anything like this. Now, we could go on, but the point I want us to understand is that human beings made in the image of God is a big deal for us understanding who we are and who God is and what he's up to. That is the plan of redemption. One other thing that I want to mention about the image of God before we go on is that the image of God not only tells us about who God is and who we are, it tells us where our value and worth come from. After the flood, God came to Noah and he said this in Genesis 9, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. The value that is attributed to human life is given by God. No person can take that away. And it's used here as a judgment and as a punishment to actually prolong life, to deter anyone from taking someone else's life. But the value isn't intrinsic in that person because of anything they are or have done or have achieved that you can look down on one person and not on another. But we are to see all people as made in the image of God. In James, we're warned against cursing people for the same reason. James 3.9, with it, speaking of the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The judgment here is in not against the curse itself, but against the fact that we're made in God's image. We're warned against defaming the glory of God. Here's the encouragement from all of this. You were made in the image of God, and you matter. Your life matters. You have worth. As long as you are breathing, God has given you purpose to live this life. It's not because of who you are or what you've done in the sense of the things that we normally attribute this to. I'm from this family, or I've accomplished this degree, or I possess this job. All the things that the world attributes worth to. Every human is made in the image of God, and nothing can erase that image. So man, male and female, are unique among all creation, made in the image of God. That's the first point I want to make. The second point I want to make is the creation of man is a revelation of who God is. The uniqueness of man teaches us about God himself. We could say that the creation of man is, in a sense, a revelation of God. He shows us some things about himself. For example, man possesses a spirit. He is an eternal being. Man is self-aware, personal, moral. Animals can communicate, but we still have no evidence that animals pontificate. (laughs) They don't think about the things that matter in life or the reason for their existence. Animals interact in and even identify with groups, but animals don't consider their origins, their family tree, or their heritage from which they came like we do. There's no you know, DNA tests that animals send off to find out where they come from. Animals may at times appear to do things that are noble. You see the video clip of the mama saving her club, doing something dangerous to save her cub from an even worse danger. But 
the mother bear doesn't band together with other bears around the world to fight for a cause to change the world that she believes in. There's no evidence of that. She acts instinctively. In other words, animals have brains and communicate and show us things about their amazing creator, but they are not spiritual creatures. Man does possess a spirit. He is an eternal being. And this is one way we are in the image of God. God is a spirit and has not a body like man. Right? Remember Jesus' teaching in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. When we think of our spiritual lives, think of conscience, think of morals, think of ethics. They are a reflection of the one who made us. Even in this secular age where people deny any sense of absolute truth or morality, we still see this happening all the time because there are people on our televisions who are screaming at us what is right and what is wrong and what we should be doing. They're telling us a morality. They're telling us what we should do. It's who we are. Consider the phrase, don't judge. That's something that is often said. It's often said to and about Christians. Don't judge. But even that statement in itself is what? It's a judgment. We are moral creatures. It's simply who we are. The point of all of this is that it is to drive us, being created in the image of God as moral spiritual creatures, is designed to drive us to the Creator, who is the source of all morality and truth and the giver of life itself. In the Westminster Catechism, we have the question, what is God? And Collins and Eli and Isabel are going to say with me, no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't tell you beforehand. You don't have to say it with me. But the, the, they, they learned the shorter answer probably, although Isabel probably knows the long answer and could say it with me after we saw that demonstration last week. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We can shout with the angels, holy, holy, holy. We can sing with the psalmist, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. We can rest in the words, God's own words to Moses on the mountaintop when he said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The image in which we have been created gives us glimpses of who our amazing God is that He's merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, things that every one of us would desire in any human relationship that we'd have. We know these things are good. These things are written in our software, so to speak, that we long for these things. And when we pursue these things away from God, we never find fulfillment. It is only in God Himself that the answers are found. Creation declares the glory and goodness of God, revealing something about who God is to us and how He has made us, that He is kind and gracious and personal and a redeeming God. Point number three, the creation of man showcases God's sovereign grace. I'm going to say this if I haven't said it over and over. I think I have. I'm going to say it over and over again in the coming weeks, that it is grace from Genesis 1.1. Grace didn't show up in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. 
didn't start in Matthew 1.1. Grace starts in the very beginning. Look at verse 26. God says, let them have dominion. Verse 28, and God blessed them. Verse 29, behold, I have given you. From the very beginning of Genesis, we see the Creator, the God of the universe. Jehovah is a God who blesses and gives. No creator would be obligated to his creation. And no creation earned the right to be created, let alone be given dominion and blessing and provision. It is all grace from the very beginning. Although at times we have to stop and think about this because many of us were brought up with the thinking that the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment and wrath and the God of New Testament is a God of love and mercy. But you don't have to study the New Testament very long to see that Jesus and, and in fact the whole New Testament has a lot to say about wrath and judgment. The point is God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. The same gracious God who saves us in His infinite love and mercy was there on day one and two and three and four and five and six, creating all that there is. God in love created man, male and female, in His image for love. The act of our creation was not only an act of love, we were created for love. And by this, I don't mean simply that we were made to love and be loved, Although I think those things are true. We were made to love and to be loved. But what I'm saying is you and I were made for God to put on display His gracious love. You and I were made to be trophies of His grace. Listen to Exodus 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Or Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Isaiah 43, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who who I created for my glory who I formed and made. God is a gracious and merciful and loving God. And here's my point. Adam and Eve and you and I were put on this earth to display the glory of God's grace. We were created for His glory. You were made for the glory of His grace. You were made by God, fearfully and wonderfully made 
to put on display His grace. If you think of the glory of God that shines from His creative power when we stand and watch the sunset or we look at the ocean, when we stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon or we see some other amazing act of creation, nothing compares to the glory of God as revealed in the salvation of sinners. I can think of nothing that compares to the glory of God as revealed in the salvation of sinners. Because God is holy and righteous and just, none of us should be able to stand before Him. None of us have earned the right. None of us have earned to get an inch closer to a God who is holy and righteous and just. We shouldn't even be thought of by such a God. But even when we were dead in our sins, even while we were His enemies, God Himself came in the flesh as a man to redeem us to Himself. Again, I can't fathom a more magnificent display of the glory of God than in the redemption of sinners. And if you today are not trusting in Christ for the redemption of your sins, then none of this makes sense. You haven't experienced what I'm describing. Come to Jesus today. Come to Him and trust Him. All of you who are weary, weary of trying and failing, weary of guilt and shame, weary of loneliness and regret and meaninglessness and hopelessness, come to Jesus and trust in Him and find rest for your soul. Come and be cleansed from all unrighteousness and be forgiven all your sins. You who are in Christ, hear this. God has blessed you beyond measure in the person of Jesus. Be refreshed today in the good news of the gospel. You were made, fearfully and wonderfully made, for a purpose. And your life matters. Every breath that you breathe matters. You have a purpose right now. God has placed you in His family. You are His Nothing can snatch you from His hand. And so today, find rest in His grace and hear God as He looks at you, His blood-bought child, the one He created and the one He redeemed. And He pronounces the same thing over you that He pronounced on day six of creation because of what Jesus has done. And behold, it is very Heavenly Father, may we rest in the glorious grace of the gospel of Jesus today. May you strengthen and, 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 and empower our hearts to lay hold of this. I pray that if there is anyone here who does not trust in Christ, that today would be the day that you draw them to yourself, that they would come to the end of themselves and rest wholly and completely in Christ. Lord, for us who trust you, Lord, would you build that trust and shore it up and strengthen us as we now go out that we may walk in faith, pleasing to you in ways, new ways, discovering new manners in which you are both revealing the sin, but also revealing the incredible grace of forgiveness that we have over sin, showing us your power over sin and death, that we may walk in victory. Lord, would you show us the great, marvelous joy of living in the gospel of Jesus. Do this for your name's sake and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.